Welcome to the Federal View podcast series from Government Marketing University. This series offers commentary and insights from our ambassadors who are all former government trailblazers who served in leadership roles. During these podcasts, our ambassadors look behind the IT hype and candidly discuss how they would prioritize their time and their budgets today. Listen to this podcast series to hear the federal view from behind the scenes on current headlines and hot topics that will help you in your marketing and sales efforts to the federal government. Welcome to the federal view. This is Martha Doris with Doris Consulting International, and I have with me today Kimberly Hatcher from Deepwater Point and Karen Britton from e-management, welcome. So today we have um, a, a topic that is um, timely in that um, the American Technology Council uh, launched its inaugural meeting on June the 19th and Jared Kushner opened up the meeting talking about how we need to create government services that need to work better for all Americans. And he noted a few ways that the government needs to do that followed by um, the, his team in the um, Office of American Innovation who are working on removing some barriers. Um, Chris Liddell is Chris Liddell and Reed Cordish and um, Jared Kushner are really running this American Technology Council and the Office of American Innovation. And they have kind of three work streams that they're, they're looking at. One is on infrastructure, one is on workforce of the future, and the third one is on modernizing government services. And I think overlaid through all of that is this, this underlying issue of innovation. So how do we continue to innovate so that the American public gets the, the kind of services that they get in their, in their private life? So we thought today we would um, talk a little bit about, um, you know, how these issues are, um, you know, relate to kind of modernizing the critical information systems, the need for innovation, transforming government, and how to employ the right workforce. So I'm going to start with um, Kimberly and to, to get your um, take on this based on your, um, you know, long-term government career and now the time that you have in the, in the private sector. Kimberly? Well, let's, let's start talking about infrastructure. When I think about infrastructure and where some of the biggest issues are, I immediately think about connectivity, specifically broadband. You know, broadband is probably the biggest factor for um, economic well-being in uh, households that are outside urban areas. For those of us that live in urban and suburban areas, we've got one or two different providers that we can select from. But you go outside these city areas into the rural uh, communities and they simply don't have the bandwidth that's needed to their homes and to their businesses. So I would like to see in the infrastructure area uh, connectivity as an equality kind of factor um, and making broadband truly ubiquitous throughout the nation. You know, you touch on, Kimberly, you touch on that from an infrastructure perspective, and I think even more fundamental to that on infrastructure is when we're looking at these age-antiquated legacy applications and so on. Um, 
Looking at what we're seeing in present day, our infrastructure is really at risk because we're seeing devastating cyber attacks. Think about the VA as an example. They are, one, could potentially be, be suffering because of the attacks and hits on um, their applications and their infrastructure that can impact medical care, could impact treatment, could, could affect a lockdown, if you will, of services to our veterans. Um, you know, with the whole delay, I would say, on upgrading our technological infrastructure, we're just seeing this constant, constant error prone of technology. So in terms of that area in the lines of business, I think that is huge. Um, I think that, and, and it's, it's, it's great to talk about bandwidth and access, but we're, we're like on the defense each and every day. And um, it's a constant uh, issue. We want to talk about promoting security of our infrastructure, but then again, we're still trying to do it in the most efficient and economical way. So the side piece to that is, how do we do it from the, the reducing budgets? So uh, I think um, there are definitely ways that federal leaders can learn from U.S. tech leaders, but they come from different perspectives, too, even with regards to, and what we discussed the last time, is how do we procure and spend and, and procure with efficiency and rapid rollout when we really need to. It's interesting. I, it hadn't even dawned on me before we started this conversation, but just bringing up broadband and infrastructure, I heard John Chambers talk to uh, over 20-plus federal IT CIOs recently, and he talked about the U.S. having no digital transformation strategies, right? Mm -hmm. Countries around the world have digital transformation strategies, and he talked a lot about how just bringing broadband to everyone in your country um, you know, increases the GDP, increases small business and entrepreneur, the creation of small business and entrepreneurs. It also increases in the job creation. But just think about what, if everybody had broadband, the importance that it would bring or the improvement it would bring to education, health care. So right. all of the pieces um, and improvements to people's lives based on just the idea of secure broadband. Um, so thinking of it, um, you know, I always think of things from the outside in as opposed to the inside out, but that's a really good point. I think that, that, that that's really a foundational part within the country to, to actually go with the broadband. And I think with the prevalence now of cloud-based services, um, we, you know, we rely on our connectivity so much to get things done because our applications increasingly are not on our desktop or our smartphone, or our tablet, uh, or our Fitbit. They are in the cloud. You know, so how, the data is stored in the cloud. How do you um, connect broadband with Wi-Fi access, too? Because that's another piece of it, mm -hmm. right? I was in Columbia last year, and that's what they were trying to figure out. Where do you, where's the best place to put Wi-Fi within your country so that people that only have a smartphone can get access to services and information? So I think that, in terms of this infrastructure, um, component of their strategy, maybe that's a, another piece to think about. I agree, and, and yet I, I think from a you know, federal, state, local level, it's really quite clearly in the local hands to determine their sort of smart city strategy and how they wish to you know, Wi-Fi enable their communities. Right. 
Um, but it is absolutely what we should be doing. If we take one example in the federal government, we have uh, public building services, a key component of the General Services Administration, GSA. And they are responsible for all of the federal buildings. And they know that those, every federal building's got to have plumbing and it's got to have electric. And they know it's got to have cable, a wired system. But these days, it also needs to be wireless. Every federal building needs to have wireless connectivity. And yet, I don't know that we have innovated and made that a standard practice yet. So that's an, a, an example of bringing change mm -hmm. and innovation uh, into you know some of our standard practices. Yeah, I was in the GSA building and we went through the transformation and we and we you know Wi-Fi enabled the entire building and nobody sits in any one place, right? Everybody yeah. just picks their computer up and you know goes around to meetings and now everybody takes notes in their computer and, and so it definitely this it 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 really just this piece of it you know changes the way that people work with government work in the government. It's a big workforce issue. So and it's businesses true. and everything. It's true as you're as you're talking about the workforce and telework and telecommuting right. and the, and the changes in practices. We have to think this way, but it's still. A long road ahead because you know to the point you're bringing up, Kimberly. It's, you don't understand why a lot of the federal buildings are not Wi-Fi enabled, but they still are not. It's it's this whole balance, I think, of juggling innovation with security practices. Yes, and that is something that remains on the table even as uh, federal entities look to be moving more towards consumerization and yes. buying these services as opposed to really running the network and owning and operating everything uh, that's on the network. Uh, we've got to move into cloud technology, but what I think we see is the services that are moved over to the cloud are kind of the easy ones, you know, some of the newfangled and new apps. When we start to think about retiring these old antiquated services and systems, that's really where it's hard. That, and, and nobody tackles that. So the things that we move over are some of the easier. We're not going and, you know, moving over some of these older HR systems, some of these legacy procurement systems. Well, I'll tell you what. I have seen some serious progress in migrating mission systems to the cloud just over the past, let's say, three or four years. Mm -hmm. You know, where we didn't have early adopters, everybody's just talking, talk, 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 but <laughs> who's doing it? Right, right. That's but true. in the last three or four years, when you look at it, the FCC under uh, Dr. David Bray, um, you know, it cleaned out their 1,600 square foot computer room. Mm -hmm. What's left are, you know, the edge uh, and, you know, the central networking components, but not the processing. Mm -hmm. They move those to you know, a, a provisioning service, um, and so I do think that we have seen a few success stories in migrating to the cloud, to the government cloud, whether it be a hybrid approach or you know, 100% government cloud or whatever it might be. There are going to be many flavors. Um, the point that you brought up, Karen, earlier about the workforce. And it's such an important component of being successful 
on all three of these areas, infrastructure, modernizing government services, and having the right people, you know, to run it. Um, but I, I would like to just focus on executives for a moment. Um, I, I think that we need executives who are true leaders, that are, are not just um, have moved up through management ranks and it's their turn for executive service, but folks that have actually proven and have credentials in not just a programmatic role, their subject matter expertise, but also in financial management, um, IT. You know, everybody needs to be IT savvy, not just your CIO and IT specialist. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs to be IT savvy. Um, and then, you know, being actually trained in championing change, having those skills actually developed, you know, taught and developed. So I think uh, I would start with executives and um, maybe even have like a rigorous program that they have to go through that's mandatory. Well, I think that's a good point because what we see at the C-suite level, particularly in the federal uh, sector, is a lot of folks coming in from the business side. They are not homegrown feds whatsoever. And so they come in and they, they, they want to assess, and they do assess their environment, but they also want to, I would say, disrupt um, the traditional mode of operations. So you have that at the leadership and, um, you know, certainly aligned, if you will, when they come in with the administration and trying to work on those changes. But then you also have long-term federal uh, government who are trying to figure out how they adopt to some of this change, trying to figure out, well, you know, do I dig my heels in? Do I, do I hurry up and wait? Am I going to be a part of it? What does it mean to my current job? And, and then you have this whole new group of uh, young folks coming out of school who may want to embark on a, a public sector you know, opportunity in their resume, but they're also trying to figure out, is this something that I want to do? And am I going to move in? Am I going to be able to affect change? Am I going to be able to make a difference? Because, you know, they, they, they have that thought process and, and they're coming out and they're, you know, coders and hackers and they're, they're, they're the innate technologists, if you will, because they've just been born into this. So I think the question is, how do we balance across that whole uh, spectrum of ma making sure that we have strong leaders, people who necessarily didn't grow up in the federal space, folks who are there, who know the history and, and sort of, you know, have been supportive of that mission, because that's why they're there, and, and trying to bring in some new ideas. Well, I think you're, um, you guys have brought up a lot of points that kind of all lead in similar directions, which is, you know, how do you, you've got people in the government, uh, and in many cases, they have some of these innovative ideas, but they haven't been able to get people to listen to them to be able to do them, so they haven't had the, the voice to be able to, to take this innovation to the next level. And then you bring new people in, and yeah. how do you develop a culture like a mutual respect where you, you can't bring, you can't come into the government and not understand some of the rules and regulations and culture and try to jam it down everybody's throat. It just doesn't work that way. And so, um, 
you'll get in trouble every single time or you'll waste a lot of time trying to do things that you really can't legally do and then you'll end up in trouble over it in the end. So that whole balance of how do you make this in a, this kind of culture of innovation and, you know, experimentation along the way. Um, and, then, and you talked a little bit about, like, the front end versus the back end. I think there's been a lot of focus in the last couple of years around the front end which I was happy to see because I'm a, you know, customer user person, so that's great, but you can't truly transform government or government services without tackling that back end, especially if you're talking about government services to the citizens that cross multiple agencies because that data on the back end has to be shared. So there's lots of, like, you know, little hidden um, landmines in this um, conversation, I think, that um, I'm not sure we have all the answers to, but it would be a good um, a good thing to to uh, continue the conversation on. Um, anything else around workforce? Workforce of the future. I mean, Kimberly started out with the with the leaders, right? And yeah. that's uh, none of this innovation, uh, improving government services, government transformation will happen unless you have people at the top that have some kind of vision to to move it in that direction. Right. And I think vision really is the key word as right. far as executives. Um, but in terms of like CIOs, I'll tell you, there's, um, there are lots of different types of CIOs. And you'll find that in your career, you need to be type A or type B or type C. So most CIOs traditionally are operations-minded, okay, making things operationally efficient is kind of where most of their energy goes. But increasingly, as we move to managed services, as we outsource, as we move things to the cloud, operational efficiency um, may not be at the top of the list. Instead, they need to really devote their attention to being transformational leaders, to leading digital transformation for their organizations to understanding their customers, really understanding their external end users, not just their internal end users. And then um, there are also times when a CIO has to be a business co-creator, where they spend their time on the business strategy and enabling change in the business units of their agency. So um, I do think that the CIOs are also uh, need to change their tactics depending on what the circumstances are in their agency. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that the CIOs have, you know, worried a lot about security and you know mobile devices and you know desktops and all this stuff. And how do you? And they have now all of the authority, you know, and to 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 make change. I mean, the TAR gave them a lot of accountability yeah. and responsibility for managing that transformation within their agency. Um, I don't know, Karen, do you have anything yeah. around um, that well, you want to add around workforce or CIOs of the future? I, I, I would say this, that with the accountability uh, that Fatara brings comes the action because CIOs should be squarely between their, their Chico, the human capital, the chief procurement because as changes are being made, um, I mean, as an example for myself, there was 
I never had a fully staffed organization. And there were times when I looked at how do we, uh, how are we expedient with procurement vehicles? So there, there too, I involved my procurement officer. But trying to figure out what's needed as you migrate and change to that you're more on the consumerization side and you outsource. You have a whole team of folks who, if they're going to buy into this change, they've got you've got to figure out what are they going to do, where are the skills needed. Um, I, I did things like work a bottoms-up review and actually went back and looked at performance plans and looked at where I needed people and, and how I could incentivize folks to do more training, get into applications or engineering. And, and so there's that piece of it as well. Um, and I think in the federal side, we're also looking for solutions to come from outside, not necessarily within. So kind of that, that, that balance is one of the things that we need. Uh, there's got to be a way for easier and quicker adoption of innovation technologies. And uh, I think with, you know, this new group of C-suite people coming in to this federal government now and, and talking to the Apple execs, the Google execs of the world, that they can learn from them. And, and they're, they're bringing them in and challenging them to help with our federal government. So how would you, um, if you evaluated the success of a CIO or, you know, as you both left jobs as CIOs, you know, if somebody looks back mm -hmm. on the, the job that we all did, you know, how do you, you know, judge whether or not a CIO was successful or not is a big question, I think. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I fall back on... <laughs> You, what you target and what you intend to measure during that performance year, that's what counts, you know? And you get a lot of distractions and a lot mm -hmm. of stuff that you gotta do that isn't in your performance plan. But what should be in your performance plan are the things that really count to that organization. Um, so doesn't that mean you need to have a, a Something at the top that understands that, uh, your, your strategic plan and the priorities of the agency. Exactly. So right. that you know what really does count for that agency? Yes, ma'am. And, you know, we have all been taught this, that this is cascading goals right. are mm -hmm. how you align an organization. Mm -hmm. Yet, who really does it? Very few agencies actually have the rigor to do that. And, it's, you know, I find that very disappointing. And... I don't find excuses for it. Um, I think that there needs to be strategic line of sight from strategic plan to the business plan to the agency's IT strategic plan and everybody's performance plan. Um, and speaking of performance plans, I, I would put modernizing at least one new digital service that did not exist before in the, so we're not concentrating so much on older legacy. You know, we're we're doing that, but we also have new services that we're putting in that didn't exist before. Um, so that would be one way that I would try to balance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the portfolio. 
Uh, yes, in, in, in looking at your strategic plan and looking at your goals and looking at your milestones, that's definitely true. But CIOs are constantly deflected by something new, some customer wants, some customer needs. So customer service is definitely, and, and Martha, I'm sure you would see it as a, as a recipient of IT services right. and shared services, customer service has to be on the top. And I think that's why we see uh, folks who come into this position, they want to serve people. They want to bring the business organizations in. They want to assess and understand their needs and then roll out and roll out, I won't say, uh, I won't just say quickly, but efficiently and, and ensure that at the end of the day, what they're delivering is certainly what the requirement, what, that they're meeting the requirements. Um, and that's part of the transformation, that's part of the change, uh, but how they do it and how they actually bring the team along is certainly, I think, something that CIOs are measured on. I also think that we, um, we all talk about, you know, and I do it myself, talk about where CIOs should go, but I also, being a CIO, and you guys know better than I do, is not an easy job. Yeah. I mean, John Koskinen just today said, that the IRS gets hacked four million times a day. Yeah. 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 Right. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes that we don't know about that right. CIOs are responsible for, that they're trying to keep the trains on the track, they're trying mm -hmm. to innovate, they're trying to transform, and now they have to tar. They have tons of reporting responsibilities, right. and, and and you only see a certain part of it in terms of well, you, when you want a new computer, you want a new computer, right? Exactly. So right. Um, I, I think a good way to close is to say, um, yeah, there's there's a definitely a different kind of CIO um, needed with this additional like vision and, and ability to work with the business line, but they are not easy jobs by any means, and I don't think anybody um, should take that lightly. So before we close out, um, Karen and Kimberly, what, do you have any um, like closing remarks on what you think would be uh, that we could expect over the next 60, 90 days? Well, my view is that um, to make this American Office of American Innovation and the American Technology Council really effective, in addition to those three areas of infrastructure, workforce of the future, and modernizing government services, they're really going to need to provide innovation incentives. The federal workforce is just not terribly motivated, and there are many, many reasons for that. So incentives for um, stepping outside of the safe zone and taking risk, uh, it are, they just have to be created. And I'm really interested in that idea of incentivizing innovation uh, and would love to be involved in coming up with some ideas. Thank you. Good. I, I would just add to that my view in, in this whole thing is I think looking beyond some of the constraints, because we tend to get boxed in all the time and we talk about um, procurement is limiting, we talk about we don't have talent in the workforce, we talk about um, who, should lead, who should lead a team. We can learn from some of the things that we've seen in place where we've had teams descend 
on projects that weren't working and make some changes. And so it's really, I think, some of the thinking out of the box. And how do we integrate this relationship with the public sector and the private sector? I think we're going to definitely have to see more of that in the next uh, six months, three to six months, to make innovation in the federal space really, really work. Yeah, good ideas. I, I, I mean, from my perspective, I think you know we're we're in the in the time frame now where agencies have submitted their their plans for transforming their agencies, and they're going to be going through these meetings with OMB over the next couple months, yeah. and then their final plans are due um, at the end of September, as well as their workforce plans due to o, OPM at the end of September. Um, also, the Office of American Innovation is doing 90-day sprints, and they have about 10 work streams, I think, that they're um, working with cross-agency groups and and trying to address these specific topics. And so I think, you know, they will start coming up with strategies in a lot of these areas that we're going to see start rolling out to, to, to meet those goals that we talked about in terms of infrastructure, workforce of the future, um, and delivering government, better government services. So um, I guess we'll see what the next 90 days brings. This is Martha Doris here with Kimberly Hancher and Karen Britton on The Federal View, and we'll see you uh, next time on The Federal View. You just heard an exclusive Federal View podcast series interview from Government Marketing University. This series offers commentary and insights from our ambassadors who are all former government trailblazers who served in leadership roles. Stay tuned for more podcast interviews, and don't miss out on Gain 2017 taking place on October 13th at the Hyatt Regency Residence.